Hello and welcome again from me, Jeremy Churfus, as we get going with another batch of podcasts looking at all manner of things through the lens of food and occasionally drink. I could call this the launch of a new season, but that would make me seem altogether more organized than I am. And as proof of that, I can't decide whether to call this episode what I did on my holidays or chronicle of a death foretold. Those holidays took place a few weeks ago in the south of Italy, and as usual I took a little bit of audio recording kit with me. I wasn't sure what I might find, but I needn't have worried. When I was down in Puglia, that's the heel of the boot of Italy, uh, about four years ago, I was really excited to see an occasional dead olive tree. There weren't that many around and it was only a year or two after I'd first started noticing and writing about this disease caused by a bacteria called Xylella, which was new in Italy, new in Europe, and which was threatening the olive trees. So it was quite exciting to, to find occasional dead olive trees, maybe even stop and take a photograph of one, and very exciting when I found one with a red cross painted on it, denoting that it was um, it was not long for this world. Some of the road bridges were painted with slogans, most confusing really, because some blamed the local government for not doing enough, and, and others for doing too much, in effect saying that it was researchers in Bari who'd created this pestilence. Well, when I came back last year, there were a lot more dead trees around, big old specimens barely clinging on with just a few green tufts at the end of some branches. And this year, it looks like a total disaster. There are whole olive groves entirely dead. Some, um, some had been cleared up, uh, the twiggy stuff cut off and hauled away. I hope presumably to be burnt, and row upon row of gaunt, bare skeletons. Others were still a mess of dead trees with a few survivors dotted here and there. Very occasionally I was quite excited to see a field full of silvery green, apparently healthy olive trees. Are they healthy or just not yet dead? I'd read about potentially resistant varieties and kept a vague eye on what was happening down there. Faced with the utter desolation in many places, it seemed like a good idea to look back and try to see how that was allowed to happen, and to look forward and try to work out what the future might hold. One thing I remember clearly. The original plan to deal with xylella when the disease was first noticed called for about 3,000 trees to be destroyed. If only. Current estimates are that more than 4 million trees have gone. That number is likely to double within a couple of years. The infected zone now covers 770,000 hectares, two-fifths the size of Wales and two and a half times Rhode Island. 50,000 hectares are blighted and brown, 
about half of all the olive orchards in the Salento, the heel of Italy's boot. This talk of more than 650 oil mills having to shut down at a cost of about 70 million euros. The lost oil production is worth about 390 million euros every year. And it hasn't yet reached the flat coastal plains of Bari province, which produces the bulk of Puglia's olive oil. So how did that happen? If you've been listening for a while, you may remember that three years ago, I spoke to Rodrigo Almeida, an expert on xylella at the University of California, Berkeley. He was rather pessimistic, saying that for farmers who had just a few trees, it was pretty much game over. And that if you had a lot of trees, well, you might stand a chance by controlling the insects that spread the disease. But it wasn't much more than a chance. I'm not talking to any experts this time around, not least because most of the Italian experts are on their holidays. But I have gone through the history, and that explains a lot. First, a bit of a recap. Xylella fastidiosa, to give it its full name, is a bacteria that's anything but fastidious. It infects all sorts of different plants, more than 350 species, including grapevines, peaches and the like, citrus, and olives. It blocks the xylem vessels that carry water up from the roots to the rest of the plant. Effectively, the plant faces a drought, and bit by bit, the whole tree dies. The disease is spread by insects, and in Puglia, one in particular called the meadow froghopper or meadow spittlebug. This is the bug you find hiding in foam bubbles on many wayside weeds. When the adults bite into an infected tree, they suck up some of the bacteria. Then, when they move on and bite a healthy tree, they give it a dose of xylella, just like a mosquito transmitting malaria. In grapevines, they call the disease Pierce's disease, and in California, they spend about $10 million a year to control it. In Italy, they call it Complesso del Disseccamento Rapido dell'Olivo, Codiro, or, in English, Olive Quick Decline Syndrome. Xylella first showed up on a few trees near the town of Gallipoli, not the famous one from World War I, which is on the Turkish coast, but a pretty little town about halfway down the inside of the heel of Italy. That was in 2013, and from what we now know about the disease, it means Xylella could easily have arrived 10 years before anyone noticed. The European Union, worried about Xylella moving from Italy to the rest of Europe, insisted that Italy attempt to contain the disease. Eventually, the region of Puglia established two zones. There's an infected zone, which initially covered the whole of the province of Lecce, the lower half of the boot heel, and a buffer zone, roughly 10 kilometers wide, north of the infected zone. A strip of about 20 kilometers wide at the northern end of the infected zone is called the containment zone. In essence, the infected zone is more or less abandoned, and the containment zone is where attempts are made to stop the spread. Authorities are supposed to keep a close eye on the buffer zone and deal with any outbreaks as they occur. 
But on several occasions, recognizing the inevitable spread of the disease, the official zones were moved steadily north. The infected zone now includes the whole of the heel of the boot, more than half of Taranto province, all of Brindisi, and even a little bit of Bari province, where the really big olive orchards are. Right now, the buffer zone extends into the coastal plain south of Bari, home of the truly monumental olive trees and groves, and there are at least 885 infected sites in the buffer zone. In May of 2015, the EU released a plan to contain the disease. There was no cure, but the plan tried to stop it spreading by destroying all the trees within 100 meters of any infected tree. That was the 3,000 trees. The EU provided a budget to carry it out, compensate the farmers, and to monitor the results. And the thing is, it might have worked, but we'll never know because it wasn't even given a chance. Farmers groups and other activists challenged the very idea that olive quick decline syndrome is caused by xylella, even though the bacterium is always found in affected trees. Organic and biodynamic farmers in particular were dead against any kind of control or treatment. They blamed the use of synthetic pesticides and fertilizers for weakening the trees. They said, do nothing. It's part of the natural system and will be integrated. Use natural fertilizers to make the trees more resilient. And yet, Xylella infected organic olive trees too. It may even have killed some, though I haven't identified any corpses. The antis, and I don't know what else to call them, even accused scientists at the Regional Institute for Sustainable Plant Protection in Bari, the capital of Puglia, of introducing the disease. They claimed that the specific strain of xylella in the olives was one that was brought into Bari for a workshop. It isn't. That was a different strain that seems unable to infect olives. But with the help of vote-hungry politicians, they persuaded judges to order the police to seize computers and equipment, preventing the work of the very people who could do most to understand the disease. The battle moved to the courts, where a series of suits and countersuits gummed up the works and made a farce of any serious attempt to contain the disease. The European Union took exception to the delays, not surprising when the disease quickly spread to France and Spain, and even Germany. They threatened Italy with sanctions, and at that point the Ministry of Agriculture in Rome summoned the President of Puglia region to explain what was going on. In his defence, and with a remarkable display of chutzpah, is there an Italian word for that? He said, that as the disease had now spread so widely, including to France and Spain, it was no longer an emergency. There was no hope of containing it, he said. Well, no, because his government had already failed even to try when it might have been manageable. Meanwhile, the scientists had been at work. Perhaps most importantly, they proved beyond a shadow of a doubt that olive quick decline syndrome was caused by Xylella fastidiosa. There are some basic rules about this kind of proof that are called Koch's postulates for Robert Koch, 
who identified the germs behind tuberculosis, cholera, and anthrax. Scientists in Bari ticked off all four of Koch's postulates as quickly as possible. They found xylella in all trees suffering olive quick decline syndrome. They cultured the bacteria in the laboratory. They observed the symptoms of OQDS in trees injected with the lab-grown bacteria. And the bacteria they recovered from the trees they'd inoculated was identical to the original isolates and the lab bacteria. Xylella causes olive quick decline syndrome, no doubt about it. I'm guessing Beppe Grillo, the comedian who launched the Five Star Movement, doesn't read Nature Plants or the reports of the European Food Safety Authority, where these results were published, because two years later he denounced Xylella as a giant hoax. Nine Italian senators, not all of them members of the Five Star Movement, followed suit with a parliamentary motion declaring, in complete ignorance of the research, that no scientific evidence proves that Xylella fastidiosa is the causal agent of the desiccation of the olive trees. Harmless, you might think, except that all this posturing wasted yet more time and further hampered efforts to do anything about it. Because they were deliberately infecting trees with xylella under controlled circumstances, the scientists also discovered that in many cases it can take more than a year for a young tree to show symptoms. Older trees are quicker, about eight months, but either way this is not good news for control, because it means that a tree could look perfectly fine the season after becoming infected, but still be a reservoir of xylella for frog hoppers to pick up and spread. They also confirmed what some growers had already noted anecdotally. Some olive varieties were particularly susceptible, while a couple of others seemed to be not exactly resistant, but certainly tolerant. Olive growers had also said that if you pruned an infected tree hard, the new growth would not have the disease. That turned out to be false. The disease spreads quickly through the tree and does cause trouble for new shoots. But an enterprising grower, president of the local growers' consortium, set up a trial at his own expense. In one of his devastated olive groves, he grafted almost 270 different varieties onto infected trees to see whether any of them would grow okay on an infected tree. A year later, on a visit to his experimental orchard, he discovered that some of the grafted branches had been torn away from the tree trunk. The leader of the local anti-Xylella faction said they'd been torn away by the wind. While some scientists were studying the bacteria, others focused on the insect vectors that spread it. A couple of facts are really important. First, there's no bacteria in the eggs laid by an infected froghopper. Each generation has to pick up xylella in order to spread the disease. Second, there's only one generation a year. The eggs hatch in the spring, and the larvae feed on weeds and other plants, hiding in those frothy little globules of spit. 
Towards the end of April, when the weeds are beginning to dry out, larvae turn into adults that fly off in search of soft green growth. Mostly that's on the olive trees, so that's when they may pick up the disease and spread it by moving to a healthy tree. But here's the thing, once the olives have flowered, the soft green shoots harden and the froghopper can't feed on them anymore. By July, the adults are moving back onto nearby weeds, which are greening up again. And that suggests a potential control strategy. You target the eggs and the larvae by tilling the ground and by keeping the olive orchards free of weeds as far as possible. Insecticides in the spring can further reduce the number of larvae. And then you need to hit the adults hard, killing them if possible when they first feed on a tree that might have xylella before they can spread it. All this has been built into a model, and the people who built the model say that the disease will completely stop spreading after just three years. Of course, you need to spray insecticide about every five days during June and July, but it works in the model. This model, based on careful study of the froghopper's life, points out that some of the official recommendations are misguided. Spraying against the adults needs to be much more frequent than every two weeks. And the whole idea of an infected zone and a buffer zone is wrong, because trees in the buffer zone could already be infected even though they're not showing any symptoms. So the two zones should be treated in exactly the same way. Given all that, though, the researchers are optimistic. They state unequivocally that a rational vector and transmission control strategy could, at least in their model, reverse the hitherto unstoppable xylella invasion. Of course there are risks. Nobody wants to be spraying insecticide all over the place every five days, even if only for a few weeks. And any attempt at control would need to be coordinated over quite large areas, because infected adult frog hoppers are quite capable of flying 100 meters a day, and the average orchard is only around 50 meters from its neighbor. I do wonder what the organic growers who did so much to block progress would say to that. Three, even six years of heavy insecticide use wouldn't be good, but it wouldn't be permanently damaging. And in any case, there'd be a delay in production while new plants, preferably resistant or tolerant varieties, matured enough to yield a decent harvest. Past history suggests to me that it would be the need to work together that would be the downfall of any such plan. But by now, I'd like to think olive farmers have nothing to lose. Maybe, just maybe, they could cooperate. And then what? Imagine that the spread can be halted. What are the olive growers to do? They've no great interest in diversifying into some other crop. Most of the talk is about replanting, preferably with one of the more tolerant or resistant varieties. One promising development is that the same grower who did the grafting experiments discovered at least 10 apparently healthy olive seedlings growing in devastated orchards. Tested over a period of months by the scientists in Bari, they remained free of the disease, even though they were surrounded by infected trees. 
It's early days, but these ten seedlings, and there may be many more, are the result of crosses among the existing cultivars, which clearly contain enough genetic diversity to come up with combinations that can resist the bacteria. They could form the foundation stock for replanting the olives. Another hopeful development is a camera that can be flown over an orchard in a drone and that can detect with reasonably good accuracy trees that look healthy enough to us but that are already infected with xylella. If, and it is a huge if, if the camera could be used to guide control in the buffer zones, it could further help to slow the spread of the disease. But I can also just imagine how much trust the growers are likely to put into a piece of technology that tells them that a tree that they think looks just fine ought to be grubbed up and burned. Of course, nobody wants to see magnificent old olive trees cut down. They're a symbol of the region and part of the culture's identity. But how long will the culture survive if it continues to obstruct all efforts to bring the disease under control? The day after our holiday ended, there was a public meeting in the town we were staying in to talk about possible futures. I wish I could have gone, but I did look for reports afterwards and found the antis were still as anti as ever. An organization called Popolo degli Olivi, People of the Olive, condemned the meeting and all the proposals that came out of it. I went to their website to see if I could discover why. Their main objection seems to be aesthetic. The replacement of smallish fields of gnarled old olives with straight rows of smaller trees. And there was also an undercurrent of paranoia about intensive cultivation and patented olive varieties, which figures quite often in anti-Xylella stuff. And then I noticed that the website has a heading for science and research. Obviously, I hurried over to click it. It contains nothing but dummy copy, Laura Mipson and all that. Very disappointing, and yet somehow comforting too, and a metaphor I resolutely refuse to pursue. Right at the outset, I said that this episode could be called What I Did on My Holidays. The truth, of course, is that what I saw on my holidays prompted the reading and research that resulted in this episode. I'm still so angry at what I saw and at the incredible selfishness that allowed this destruction to take place. Remember what I said at the start? That the original eradication plan to deal with Xylella called for about 3,000 trees to be destroyed. But no, that was too much for some people, who now have 4 million dead trees and many more to come on their conscience. If they have one. That was an episode of Eat This Podcast from me, Jeremy Churfus. It means we're back on the regular timetable with a new episode every two weeks on a Monday. In between times, there's Eat This Newsletter, and you can be sure never to miss either by signing up on the website at eatthispodcast.com. 
That's also where you can read the show notes, see some pictures of the olive wastelands, and leave a comment. You can also support the show with a regular subscription or a one-off donation, and I promise not to spend it on my holidays. For now, though, from me, Jeremy Churfus, and Eat This Podcast, goodbye and thanks for listening. Thank you.